All right, when I was in graduate school, I was keenly aware of my lack of good home-cooked food in my life. Um, today, I have a wonderful, beautiful wife who is an amazing cook, um, and she takes great care of me. Um, but when I was in graduate school, I was single, and getting good food in my life was a struggle. I learned how to make a few dishes here and there, but after a while, that really gets old. Um, And I didn't want to be spending tons of money going out to eat in restaurants all the time. So whenever I was offered a home-cooked meal, I gladly accepted. On one occasion, I was, the church that I was working at, there was a wedding reception. And the, so the couple that was getting married was the country of Laos in Southeast Asia. And according to their culture, important occasions are remembered and recognized by preparing lots and lots of food. So as Americans, you may think, like me, when I think of a lot of food, I think of enough food for everyone to eat as much as they want, and maybe a little bit of leftovers. Well, for this family, their idea of lots and lots of food was different. They not only had the whole idea of everyone eating as much as they want, but for them, lots and lots of food meant sending everyone home with lots and lots of food so that they could continue to enjoy the meal maybe once again or maybe even twice. Like they, they intended to send people home with a lot of leftovers. So being aware of my social status at the end of the, of the wedding, they demonstrated extra generosity towards me and sent me home with bags of egg rolls. It was wonderful. I was so excited. Um, had, they, had they given me just a little bit of food, I would have been grateful. But what I probably would have done is I probably would have taken it back and eaten it all by myself, maybe in secret. But they gave me so much food. As I went back to the home where there were other hungry bachelors living uh, that we shared, all shared the home together, I just felt this, this, this desire in my heart to be generous and share the wealth. I, could just, I thought to myself, man, I've been given so much I actually wanted to share. There, there was no way I could eat all of this food in one sitting. And I didn't want it to go to waste. And so for me, it was just a wonderful thing to be, to be able to say, wow, here, this is what I have. I don't need to hide it from anyone. There's plenty for everyone to enjoy. Well, as it was with my egg rolls, our desire to give, as God calls upon us to give, in all the different ways that we have opportunity to give, this desire to give really depends upon our awareness. Like, how in tune are we with how much we've been given? When we're really aware of how much, the abundance, the wealth that we've been given— it affects our desire. It motivates us to share. If I think that God has given me only a little bit, I'm going to avoid giving generously. I'm going to do my part, maybe just kind of help here and there if I think that I only have a little bit. I'm going to do it perhaps even not so enthusiastically. But if I'm aware that God has been generous with me, and indeed he has, his generosity really sets me free to give generously. It's no longer a struggle. Today we're wrapping up our series called Welcoming Abundance, where we've been talking about biblical principles of prosperity, how God outlines these ways in which he wants for us to live so that we can welcome the abundance that he intends for us to have. And I've found that most people really like the idea of prospering in every way. 
I don't think anyone, if God comes to you today and says, I want to prosper you in every way, I don't think anyone's going to say, oh, no, 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 I don't want any of that. Like, we, we have this desire to, to prosper. Um, because naturally, this, this desire is in us to have something better. We want something better in our lives. We want a better life for ourselves. We want a better life for those that we love, our children. But in our desire for something better, it's easy to think that currently, we don't have enough. Can you relate to that? That in our desire for something better, we want, we want something better. It's easy to kind of hold on to what we have, that, thinking that we don't have currently enough. And we can even think this is true, that we don't have enough, even if it's not true. I've noticed that people tend to define enough as just a little more. Even people who we would look at and say, wow, they are wealthy. If you were to ask them, say, do you have enough? Chances are they would say, well, I'm not really that wealthy. It's really the person who has more than I do. Th- those are the people who are wealthy. We think that, we, sometimes we think we don't, we don't have enough. And so to save us from this ideology of scarcity, like, like I'm, I'm lacking something, to save us from this, God gives us the privilege of giving. The act of giving saves us from this thinking that I don't have enough and that I never will have enough, perhaps, and makes us aware of the abundance that God has already given to each one of us. So this morning, as we prepare for the foot washing service and then the the communion service, I'd like to look at a teaching from Jesus that shows how anyone, regardless of their circumstances, can experience abundance by giving generously. Put you in touch with that abundance that you already have. So the title of the message is Free to Give. Uh, please pray with me as before we open the Bible. Heavenly Father, oh God, may I hear and may each of my friends hear, may our church family hear the words that you have to speak to us through the scripture. God, please put us in touch with the reality of the abundance that you've given to us. Make us aware of that and may it change us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Uh, If you'd like to open your pew Bible, it's page 975. Matthew chapter 10. We're going to be especially looking at verse 8. We'll start in verse 7, though. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus asks his disciples to give a particular message that the people of that day in Palestine and Jesus' day were especially hungry to hear. Although the nation of Israel had a rich history of God providing for them, the last several hundred years leading up to the first century had been dismal. The Jewish nation had been stripped of their land, their freedom. They were living there in their land, but it was no longer theirs. They were living under oppression. They'd been stripped of their wealth. They were desperate for some good news. And at this low point in their experience, God gives them a message of abundance. Matthew's gospel tells us that this message was first preached actually by John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist is really well known for baptizing. That's kind of part of his name. Uh, He was really well known for calling people to repentance. But the reason why he was calling people to repentance, the reason why he was baptizing people, was because he had a message of abundance. And the message was this, that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Kingdom of heaven has come near. Later in Matthew's gospel, 
believe it's in chapter 4, after Jesus was baptized, it's interesting that he began to preach the exact same message. Word for word, the Bible records that the kingdom of heaven has come near. And now in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is sending out his disciples, his 12 disciples, to go out and preach this same message. You see it in verse 7. He says, as you go, proclaim the kingdom of heaven has come near. For a people who are poor and oppressed, the idea of the kingdom of heaven, the riches of heaven, the God who is the source of all wealth coming near, this must have surely given them hope. Their lives could not ever be the same again if the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is God, the source of all wealth, coming near to them, being with them, coming down to their place of oppression and poverty and changing everything. And as evidence of God's closeness to his people, Jesus sent the disciples out to serve in a very specific way. Look at what it says in Matthew 10, verse 8. Jesus says, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Notice what Jesus asks for them to do. I mean, judging by by what Jesus tells them to do, it might seem that these men were especially spiritual people, perhaps exceptionally spiritual people. Heal the sick. Who does that? Raise the dead. Cure leprosy. Free people from demonic oppression. These are not run-of-the-mill acts of service, run-of-the-mill, you know, everyday-type miracles. The people of this day, they had not seen miracles like this for hundreds of years since the time of Elisha in the Old Testament. They'd not seen anything even near this. And Jesus is just casually telling them to go out and do this. He's talking to them as if they were exceptional spiritual people, but the reality is, is that the audience of Jesus that is receiving these instructions, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, drive out demons. The the people hearing this, receiving these instructions, they were spiritual newbies. Just a few chapters, a few verses actually, earlier in the chapter, Jesus summoned these 12 disciples. They were just chosen to follow Jesus. They did not have a lot of experience. Perhaps they didn't have, perhaps they didn't have any experience. It's not like they had crowds of people following. Peter didn't have this crowd of people following him, being awed by his amazing spiritual discourses on the Bible. There wasn't anything like that. They, they were not, they, they didn't have a lot of experience at all. They, they, they weren't the type of people that you would see as qualified to go out and heal people and raise people from the dead. So how could Jesus be so confident in telling these disciples who had almost no experience with him, serving him, to go out and do these over-the-top, incredible miracles. How was he able to be so confident? Well, it actually tells us at the end of verse 8. He says to them, freely you have received. Freely give. Now, in this context, what Jesus is asking them to give is not limited to money. Like often when we think of giving, we're talking about giving money, and certainly that's part of the, the conversation. But when Jesus says, freely you have received, freely give, he's talking about giving through acts of service. Although Jesus' disciples, they, did, they kept a, a bag of, 
a resource that, that contains some money to help poor people. He's really commanding them to give more than money here. Jesus is sending them out to be with people, to listen to people, to, to, be, to come next to people in their difficult times, to see their needs, and to do everything in their power to, to, to leverage every resource at their command to bless people. So when Jesus commanded them to give, what he's really commanding them to do is he's commanding them to give their life. And verse 8 describes to what extent he's commanding them to give their life. He doesn't just say, go and give. You know, hold on to as much as you can, but if you have to give, go, go and give. He's not saying that. He says, give freely. Give freely. Today, advertisers, marketers often use the word free. They use this word to sell products, and we can kind of be really suspicious when we see what Jesus is saying here. Like, what what is he really talking about when he says, give freely? Because we're bombarded with these, these sales pitches. Act now, and you'll get a bonus item free, right? Buy one, get one free. But when Jesus says freely give, this is not a sales pitch. This is not a a hook to try to get something from people. Freely giving is the behavior of people who have experienced abundance. He's not sending the disciples out with just a little bit and saying, you go and give a little bit and then try to get a bunch more. I'm going to just get you started here and then you go out and get the rest. No, he's sending them out already overflowing with abundance. This is not a scarcity mentality he's sending them out with. He's saying, freely give. And I love what precedes that command to freely give. Before commanding his followers to do this, to give freely, Jesus helps them to recognize an essential truth, that before we can freely give, we must first freely receive. You can't give what you don't have, and Jesus recognizes that. He says, freely you have received. He's blessed his people with abundance. He says, in like manner, freely give. Well, for first century Jews, people who went around healing the sick, raising the dead, curing leprosy, driving out demons, this was unusual. These were unusual miracles, but these miracles had special significance to the first century Jews. This was the work of the prophesied Messiah, the long-hoped-for one who would come and deliver them. So for Jesus to say, go out and do these things, he was telling the disciples to do his work. There's no way a human being could do these things that we read about here in verse 8. Raise the dead? People couldn't, even people who have been raised from the dead didn't have that power in the Bible. People who had, had demons cast out of them, it wasn't, it wasn't that they were so, suddenly qualified to do that. Even if the disciples had experienced these things themselves, which the Bible indicates they had not, there's no way they could have gone and done that themselves. So for Jesus to send us out to do these things, to send them out to do these things, it was evidence that Jesus was with them. It was only Jesus that could do these things. He's saying he has given of of himself freely to the disciples. And because he gave himself freely to the disciples, they could freely offer the work of Jesus to others. Let me give you an example of how this works for us. If you've ever traveled or lived in drier parts of the United States, like California, you're probably familiar with what this is. In drier parts of the country, 
people in the metropolitan areas, people in those, these areas where there's no access, there's not a lot of rain, they're dependent upon aqueducts. And the role of these aqueducts is that it brings water from the source and it gives it to all the places that are needed so that people can survive in arid areas, big, big cities that don't have a lot of water. The role of the aqueduct is not to hold on to water. It's not supposed to be a reservoir where it tries to hold on to as much water as possible. No, they specifically designed this to not hold on to water, but to pass water through as as efficiently as possible. And so the aqueduct receives water from the source, and it passes water through, and it continues to pass water through. As long as the source is giving the aqueduct water, it continues to pass water the water along. And even when the water stops being given from the source, the aqueduct continues to give until it is dried out. The reason Jesus called his disciples to give freely was not because they were exceptionally spiritual people. It's because he is an exceptional giver. And as long as he is with them, they are able to give freely. As followers of Jesus, we're not called to be reservoirs to hold on and hoard the giving that Jesus has given to us. We are called to be aqueducts or channels of his goodness and his grace. And all this is a simple concept. Perhaps you've heard it before. The disciples needed to hear it over and over again. They needed to be reminded of it again. And we see a reminder of this concept at the end of Jesus' ministry. As the disciples gathered to celebrate the Passover for the last time with Jesus, Jesus did something unforgettable in that upper room as they gathered around the table with the Passover meal already prepared there. Before eating the Passover, good hygiene, according to Jewish thinking, and it makes sense to me too, um, required that a servant would go around and wash the feet of the disciples. They would all recline around this table, and so they were close together, and it, it, just, it was just so much better if their stinky feet were clean. <laughs> so so they, had a, they would have a servant come in and, and, and do that, but on this particular occasion, no, no arrangements had been made for a servant to do this humble, humiliating, really, work. Uh, Seeing the opportunity to serve, Jesus demonstrated his ability to freely give. I'd like for you to see what the Bible says here in John chapter 13. It's really significant, the observation that John makes in verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew, like in a few hours, he's going to be betrayed and he's going to be crucified on a cross. This is it. This is the culmination of everything that he had come to do. It was just before the Passover. Jesus knew that his hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. But he's not future tripping, so to speak. He's not thinking about what's ahead. He's fully present. The Bible says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Rather than holding on to his resources, rather than conserving his energy, rather than doing some self-care in that moment, knowing that his hour had come, we find Jesus loving them to the end, not holding on to anything. He's freely giving. He gets up from the table. He wraps himself with a towel. And he begins to wash the disciples' feet like the humblest of servants would have done. Like an aqueduct, he held nothing back. He gave generously everything that was at his disposal. He gave to the disciples through a loving act of service. 
when he was done, this is what he says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. Freely giving is what people do who have received Jesus. Have you received his service? Do you know what it's like to be forgiven? Do you know what it's like to be loved at the point that where you're most undeserving? He says, if I've washed your feet, if I've served you, if I've loved you, then go also and wash one another's feet. So in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, According to the command of Christ, we practice foot washing, not because we think that the act of bending before someone and washing their feet is the complete fulfillment of Jesus' command. That's not why we do it. We don't say, well, we wash someone's feet, we're done, we're good now, we can go to lunch. That's not, that's not why we do it. The reason we wash feet according to the command of Christ is because this prepares our hearts to give freely through loving acts of service. So all who wish to participate, we're going to break in just a moment here. All who wish to participate, you're welcome to do so here. And let me just give you some directions. So families who would like to wash each other's feet as a family, you can exit through the, through the, through the double doors here. Go down the hallway and last door to your right, that's the fireside room. Um, the, the women will be serving each other. If you want to just, ladies, as sisters in Christ, you want to serve each other, you can go just to your right. Men as well in the primary room. Um, so... So you can make your way there in just a moment. Uh, by the way, if this is your first time at a foot washing service and you're like, they're going to wash feet? Uh, just here's, here's something, here's, so you can know what to expect, right? This is, this is how it works. You go to the different areas. Once you've found someone to serve, I, I encourage you to pray with those, pray with that person. And ask God to give you a heart of service. And then somebody's going to sit down, that, that person who's sitting down, they'll take their shoes and socks off. The person whose opportunity is to serve, they'll go and they'll get a basin of warm water. Those will be available there. There's going to be a towel available. And you'll just put their feet in the water, wash them, take them out, and dry them. That's, that's, the, that's the foot washing service. So I, I encourage you to, to experience it. Will it be awkward? Intentionally so. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because serving other people is kind of like that. If you're into something comfortable, then, then I, don't, I don't think following Jesus is for you. But he invites us to experience his abundance because there's something better than being comfortable, and that is living in abundance. Yeah. So uh, before we, I'm going to pray in just a moment, just a few other instructions here. After foot washing, by the way, if, you, if you're not comfortable participating, we're perfectly fine with that. You can remain here seated in the sanctuary. We ask that you leave every third row. There's a little tiny wood button on every third row. Um, so if you could just leave that one empty so that when we serve the emblems, we'll be able to do that more efficiently. We appreciate that. Um, also, uh, young people, Auntie Denise Hall is going to have a children's story for you. So you can come down to the front after we pray here. And uh, I think that's about all the instructions for now. So let's pray, and then we'll dismiss for foot washing. Heavenly Father, Thank you so much for showing us what true greatness is. We thought it was everyone serving us, and God, you show us that it's in serving that we find greatness. That's in serving that we find abundance. Thank you, Jesus, for giving yourself freely to us. And now as we break to follow your command and wash one another's feet, I pray that you would wash our hearts of selfishness and that you would equip us to give freely to one another. In Jesus' name, amen.